over July until James uh, starts officially with us at the beginning of August, I thought I would just uh, look with you at some uh, parables uh, of uh, the Lord. Parable uh, simply means uh, to lay alongside um, parallel uh, two lines beside each other. Parable, it's a story that's led aside alongside truth that it helps us understand and explain uh, that truth. And as you know, Jesus was a, a great teacher of uh, parables. So this evening, uh, we've obviously looked at the parables in Luke's gospel because we've been through Luke and, uh, and uh, Alex was taking us through Mark and James is going to continue uh, with Mark. So I'm going for safe territory and I want to turn your attention to Matthew uh, chapter 13. So Matthew chapter 13 and verse uh, 24. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. It's a wonderful story. It's not always easy to understand the parables. It's sometimes we can read actually too much into them. But this is great because we're left in no doubt as to what Jesus meant. Because when Jesus is alone with his disciples, he explains to them exactly uh, what he was getting at. So if you look down to verse uh, 37 of chapter 13, verse 37, uh, we read, uh, or verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is uh, the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I want you to notice three things this evening, the planting of the crop, the growth of the crop, and the harvesting of the crop. So first of all, the planting of the crop. In the parable, we have a field, we have two sowers, 
and two different kinds of seed. Now, the field is identified for us by Jesus in verse 38. He says explicitly, the field is the world. That's the world in which we live, this earth on which we live, this globe, this planet that spins through space. Many commentators argue that the field is the church and that you have both wheat and weeds growing together in the church that will be separated only at the end of the harvest, the end of the age. Now, undoubtedly, the purest of churches will have their weeds, people who aren't genuinely converted. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus says the field is the world. As John MacArthur says, uh, this is a picture of the church in the world, not the world in the church. So the field that is the center of all this agricultural activity in the parable is the world in which we live. Notice that the field actually belongs to the good father, verse 20, uh, the good farmer, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. His field. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to the enemy who came and sprinkled the bad seed. It's his field. This world belongs to God. It's his creation. He made it. Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So the devil is very much a squatter. He's operating in a world that does not belong to him. Secondly, we have two sowers. Verse 37 tells us who the field owner is. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Now, that title, Son of Man, was the preferred title of Jesus because of all the uh, misconceptions that surrounded the title Christ. He referred to himself as the Son of Man when speaking to his disciples. So we have the Son of Man planting and raising a crop for himself. For himself. Now the enemy is given in verse 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So you have two sowers, the Lord Jesus Christ and the other, the devil. Now the good seed, we're told in verse 38, are the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. So let's try and put all that together. In this world, Jesus is at work planting and raising a crop for himself. That work is opposed by the evil one who plants weeds among the seeds. Now that was quite a common uh, occurrence in the ancient times that an enemy would come and, and scatter the seeds of weeds in the field of his enemy. So much so, so common was this, that the Romans actually um, uh, uh, passed a law that, uh, uh, against it. I'm told in more recent times that during the potato famine in Ireland, when the rich English landlords put the tenant farmers off their land, often the tenant farmers would come and, and sow wild uh, oats through the fields that would make them uh, impossible to cultivate and so impossible for the uh, landlord to find uh, a, a new tenant. Now, Satan is at work 
in our world. He's seeking to destroy then the good teach the good work of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is to save a people for himself. Christ Jesus, Paul tells us, came into the world to save sinners. Uh, Joseph was told to give the baby the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. That was the great mission of Jesus, to seek and to save those that are lost. The great saving work of Jesus is opposed by Satan. He will do everything in his power to hinder the work of Christ, to undermine the work of Christ, to impede the work of Christ. And the presence, all the presence of evil in this world is due to his present evil activity with the specific intention of undermining the gospel and the advance of the gospel. You must understand this evening, if you're not a Christian, the reason that you're not converted, the reason that you're not a Christian is because of his present activity, because of his opposition. The God of this world, writes Paul, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The devil is determined to keep you out of heaven, to keep you from Christ, to keep you from repenting and believing the gospel. And for some of you tonight, he's been doing that very successfully. Some have never heard the gospel, but you have heard the gospel time without number, but you remain indifferent to it. Now, why is that? Why is it that you can shrug it off so casually and be so indifferent to it? Uh, that you're too intelligent, that you're too independent, that you're too sophisticated, too avant-garde, too 21st century? No, you have been duped by the devil, and he will fight tooth and nail to keep you from Christ. There's more here. If you're not a Christian, you're not only blinded by Satan, you are the offspring of Satan. Notice verse 36, the weeds are the sons of the devil. Jesus once said to unbelieving Jews who arrogantly claimed to be children of Abraham, you belong to your father, the devil. Now, this is a very important truth here. Jesus is teaching that there's no neutrality as far as his kingdom is concerned. You're either a son of the kingdom or you're a son of the devil. You're either in this world to stand for the gospel or to stand against the gospel. But you might say, well, look, look, I'm neither for it nor against it. I, I don't oppose it. Uh, I, 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 I'm neither here nor there when it comes to the gospel. I'm neutral. I'm in the middle. No, says Jesus. You're either for me or against me. When it comes to gospel truth, there is no middle ground. And he goes on and he says, not only are you blinded by the devil, not only do you belong to the devil, but he says you're actually an instrument of the devil. If the weeds represent non-Christians, the reason they are there is to cause trouble for the wheat. 
by drawing nutrients and sustenance away from the wheat to impede their advance. So you're not only, uh, you not only belong to the devil, you're not only blinded by the devil, but you're actually an agent of the devil. That's a frightening thing. The planting of the crop. Satan opposes the work of Christ. Secondly, notice the growth of the crop. In the parable, both the weeds and the wheat grow side by side. And we find the servants asking in verse 28, do you want us to go and gather them? But the farmer replies, let both of them grow together until harvest. Now, the reason for that is because in pulling up the, the, the weeds, they would have undoubtedly pulled up the wheat with the roots of uh, entangled and intertwined with each other. Or perhaps another reason is the similarity between the wheat and the weeds. Jesus uses a very specific word in the original Greek. It's a specific weed that he has in mind. It's a wheat-like weed that can only be distinguished from the genuine plant when it ripens and opens. In its infancy, it's almost uh, impossible to tell the difference between the two. Experts have difficulty in telling them apart. And for these servants to go into the fields to try and pull out the weeds, uh, they would undoubtedly have pulled out the immature plants as well. So in order to preserve the wheat, the farmer orders that the weeds be left until harvest. Now here's a very important truth. In this world, the children of the kingdom and the children of the evil one coexist. They live side by side. Here Jesus answers one of the great objections to Christianity, the question over the whole problem of evil. How many times have people said, if there's a good God in heaven, how can he allow evil to exist in the earth? One only has to think of Harold Shipman or Mara Hinley or Fred and Rosemary West or the terrible atrocities that were committed in this province over a period of 30 years or Putin and his invasion of uh, Ukraine. Why is God inactive? Why does he allow these things to go unpunished? Why does he allow evil? Well, here's the answer. He allows the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds, to grow together until harvest to the end of the age. He hasn't forgotten about evil. He hasn't overlooked these things. He has noted them. He has taken them into account, and he will judge them at the end of the age when the wheat and the weeds are sorted and separated. We want at times for him to do that now, but he has fixed the great day of judgment, and we must be patient. I think I told you the story before about the uh, uh, atheist farmer who lived in the Bible Belt in America, and to get one over uh, uh, his neighbors, his Bible-believing neighbors, he wrote to his local paper, and he said, uh, I just want you to know that I've been conducting an experiment in one of my fields. I plowed it on a Sunday. I sowed the seed on a Sunday. I watered it on a Sunday, and I weeded it on a Sunday, and I have gathered the harvest on Sunday. And I want to tell you and my neighbors that I have produced the greatest finest crop of Indiana wheat in the whole neighborhood. 
and the editor of the local paper published that letter and then added the footnote, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. Both the wheat and the weeds, the good and evil, grow together, but a separation, a day of separation is coming. That was the complaint, you remember, of the psalmist in Psalm 73. He said, he asked this question, this honest Uh, to God question, he says, why is it that evil people seem to prosper and uh, the righteous people seem to suffer? As I look around me, it's all the believers that are having the difficult time, and the righteous are carefree and uh, 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 unaffected by the, the problems of life. And then he says, all this was oppressive to me. My foot almost slipped until I entered the sanctuary and I understood their final destiny. It was only in the light of eternity that he could make sense of it all. But there's more here. Remember what the wheat uh, represents, the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds represent the sons of the evil one. And there is no neutrality, and there is no middle ground. And you see, the truth of the matter that, uh, is that God not only holds to account and will one day punish uh, great sin, but He will punish all sin. That there is no middle ground. You're either one or the other. And there is no insignificant sin to Him. There is no such thing as trivial sin. He who is of infinite holiness and infinite justice is angered by all sin, not just great sin. And so, one day, the sin that, sins that we have committed, the things that we trivialize in our mind, we're going to be held accounted, accountable for them too. If Jesus died and shed his blood in order to deal with sin and forgive sin, there's no such thing as insignificant sin to him. And so you need to realize, although you might not be the Mara Henley or the uh, Vladimir Putin of this, this age, nevertheless, that you're going to be held accountable for your sin before God. The planting of the crop, the growth of the crop, and then the harvesting of the crop. Harvesting is the time that every farmer looks forward to when the uh, crops are safely brought into the barn. Likewise, the Son of Man, our Savior, Jesus Christ, gathers the wheat into his barn. Look at verse 30. Let both grow together until harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, it's obvious that the barn speaks to us of heaven. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Now, from the parable, we can deduce three things about heaven. First of all, that heaven is a place of purity. We find in our parable that at harvest time, the reapers separate the wheat from the tares, the wheat from the uh, 
uh, weeds, the weeds are burnt up and the wheat is brought safely into the barn. Now, in his explanation of the parable, Jesus tells his disciples that at the end of this age, a separation will take place between Christians and non-Christians. And it will only be the Christians, the righteous, who will be brought into heaven, and the wicked will be cast into what he calls a, a fiery furnace. Look at verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all uh, causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's interesting that the farmer doesn't entrust the servants to uh, do this harvesting because as servants of God. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we shut in people that shouldn't be shut in, and sometimes we shut out people that shouldn't be shut out. But here he entrusts it to his divine messengers. He entrusts this separation to the angels. Verse 39, the reapers are the angels, heaven's agents, and there's no fooling them. There's no pulling the mask over their eyes. They know their master's property. The weeds are tied and thrown into the fire. Notice verse 42. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a real place. It's a terrible place. When we think of pain, probably fire is the worst pain that we can imagine. And uh, Jesus tells us in other, uh, in other places that this is unquenchable fire. It's the place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of um, ongoing, undying wrath against unrepentant people. So fearsome and terrible is this punishment that there's this weeping, this continual weeping and this grinding, this grinding of teeth. When do you grind your teeth? You grind your teeth when you're um, angry. Sometimes people will give the impression that, that in hell everybody's subdued and realizes that they're there justly. People are angry. They're angry at God. They're grinding their teeth. They think that this shouldn't be happening to them. There's no fellowship. There's no friendship. There's no comfort. It's a place of isolation and darkness. They, the wheat, they are brought into heaven. And we need to understand that. There's a day coming when a great separation will take place, uh, when the sheep will be separated from the goats, when the uh, weeds will be separated from the wheat, when, when only those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ will be brought into the safety and to the security of heaven. That's, that's a solemn thing. I have a, a description of hell written by the Puritan John Bunyan. I'm not sure if I, I would read it. I, I should read it. It's a terrifying picture. He says, in hell you have none but a company of damned souls 
with an innumerable number of devils to keep you company. When you're in this world, the very thought of the devil appearing makes your body tremble and your hair stand on end. But, oh, what will you do with all that company of devils in hell with you, howling, roaring, screeching in such a hideous manner that you would think you're going to go mad and be ready to run out of that place in anguish and torment? If after 10,000 years an end would come, that would be your comfort. But this is your misery, that you must be there forever frightening picture that is. The barn is a place of purity. Only the wheat is brought into the barn. The barn is a place of security. When the farmer has his, uh, brings his grain into the barn, he breathes a sigh of relief. While it's still in the field, it's, it's still exposed. It's still vulnerable to all the dangers of frost, blight, uh, locusts, and and drought, but when brought into the barn, it is finally safe. Likewise, the Christian is finally brought into heaven, and he is eternally secure. The separation that is, has taken place and all that troubled him has been removed. Just look at, at verse 41. We could skip over this and miss it, but the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin. Do you see that? All causes of sin. The New American Standard Version translates that, all stumbling block. Everything that tempts us and seeks to wean us away from God, all that troubles us, the pain that we experience, the grief that we know, all of those things are, are removed. All that tempts us and discourages us and hurts us is removed. Heaven is a sinless zone and all tears are wiped away. There will be no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No strife shall rage, nor hostile feuds disturb those peaceful years. To plowshares men shall beat their swords, to pruning hooks their spears. Safe, safe in the arms of Jesus. Do you know when you feel that your soul is assaulted by Satan, when you're overwhelmed by your own unworthiness or overwhelmed by grief or illness, to think of a place where all those things, that all that causes us to sin, that all that causes us to grieve, all that's a stumbling block to us, is finally and fully removed. What a glorious thing that's going to be. So heaven is a place of purity. It's a place of security. And thirdly, it's a, a place of glory. Look at verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun and the kingdom of their Father. Now, it's hard for us to know exactly what Jesus means here. Does he mean that the grain is brought safely into the barn, that the sun shines through the door and through the windows, windows and, and lights up the, 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 um, the wheat and uh, it uh, emits a, a golden um, haze? It's, it's, it reflects the sun rays. Well, that could be. It may be that Jesus is simply mixing his metaphors and saying, 
the righteous will shine like the sun. Whatever he had in mind, he is indicating that heaven is a place of great beauty and a place of great glory. That the Christian himself will shine and radiate forth the glory of heaven. You know, in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory was manifested. The presence of God, the glory of God was manifested in brightness, in, in, in light, in, in radiated light. You remember when Moses was up the mountain and he, he came down and his face shone. Do you remember the Lord Jesus when his, as we were thinking of this morning, when his divinity spoke, broke through his humanity in the transfiguration and he radiated, radiated glory. That's the picture that we have this uh, reflected glory that, that we're in the presence of of the glorious God forever and ever. That Shekinah glory in the Old Testament was an indication of His presence. It manifested His presence. They knew that God was there. And here we are then in this barn uh, in the presence of God, bathing in the glory of God, being in the presence of God, reflecting and radiating his glory. How glorious that will be. You remember that picture of heaven in, in Revelation, uh, and we're told that there was no sun there. No sun. Because there, there didn't need to be a sun, because God himself radiated glory. That's what it means to be in the presence of God. Heaven is a place of beauty. Every little corner of darkness in our lives will be removed and we will shine like the sun. That was the great desire of every Jew. Aaron's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious uh, unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace, that he radiates glory. We're in his presence bathing in glory, and then we radiate that glory. We shine like the sun. How glorious. How wonderful that's going to be. I have only met one person who's ever told me that they wanted to go to hell. It was a friend in school. And uh, he says, a oh, Christian, he says, they're so boring. He says, I don't want to go to heaven. He says, I want to be in hell where all the fun is. Well, hell's not going to be fun. It's going to be weeping, eternal weeping and a gnashing of teeth. But in heaven, in heaven, we're going to bathe in the glory of God. And so I want to ask you, this evening, are you a wheat? Are you wheat? Are you a wheat? Are you a son of the son of man? Or are you a son of the evil one? I suppose this is where the parable breaks down. Because we, we maybe say to ourselves, well, well, why does God not do it now? Why does God not wind up the world now and bring um, justice now? 
and separate the evil from good. Well, the truth of the matter is that he's patient and he's leaving time for people to repent and believe the gospel because it is possible that the weed undergoes a transformation, a miracle, and becomes a wheat plant. And that they too then can ultimately be brought in to the safety of heaven. I would encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. Because there is a day coming when that great separation is going to take place. May God give you grace to repent and to trust in Jesus Christ. Amen.